0: Athletes are often very excited about their career, about possibilities to expand and grow in their field of of performance and recognition. And then sometimes, in some situations, an injury happens. And it's one of those injuries that is either incurable or, if it is curable, it disqualifies them to ever play again as an athlete. Or sometimes musicians um, can hurt their, uh, their joints in ways that they're no longer able to play the high performance level they think they're able to play. And in such situations, either athletes or musicians may feel like the bottom has fallen out. A business people may experience something similar. They enter an, in a business venture, and not only uh, things may turn out to be totally different than what they planned for, but, but the devastation is so significant that there's no chance for them to recover and get back on their two feet. Experiences of, of the bottom falling out uh, are not unusual for us. There's even an idiom. That's the idiom, when the bottom falls out. People use that idiom in various ways, uh, in various experiences. And today, the passage we are going to look at uh, could be summarized with this idiom, with this picture, when the bottom falls out. That's what happens to Saul. Would you open God's Word to the book of First Samuel chapter 28? We'll be reading from verse 3 to the end of the chapter, verse 25. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to grab one of the Bibles provided in the pews in front of you. We'd actually love for you to take the Bible home if you don't have a Bible and read it. Uh, we'd love for you to have it as a gift. Here's God's word for us this morning. First Samuel chapter 28, verse 3 to verse 25 the word of the Lord says the following. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, "Divine for me a spirit, by spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul soared by the Lord. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that he was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God hath turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with a woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed, Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house and she quickly killed it and she took flour and knitted it and baked unleavened bread of it and she put it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you join me in prayer? Asking God to bless our hearing of the word and the proclamation of it. Let's pray. Father, we need your spirit. To speak to our hearts. As we approach your word, I pray that you would empower me to declare it faithfully and clearly, and I pray that you would open our hearts, enable us to hear, enable us to obey. For your glory, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 28, we are in a section of the book that is pretty dark. It's one of the darker chapters of the book. Gary asked me a few weeks ago in our home fellowship time at Deborg's house if, uh, if the chapter I'm about to preach today would also fit in the, in the category of chapters I would never choose to preach from unless I was committed to preach expository. And it comes close to it. It's one of those chapters that I would wonder what, what in the world are we supposed to get out of this chapter? It's such a puzzling chapter. It's such a dark chapter. And yet, it's an important chapter. It's an important chapter for the development of this book as as the plane of this book is about to crash. This chapter provides some important details. The narrator wants us to understand that Saul's soon-coming death is not an accident, but it's filled with significance, and it communicates to us an important message. As puzzling as this chapter is, uh, there's an important clue that helps us understand the message of this chapter, and the clue only becomes evident when we do what we should do with every passage of Scripture, to read it in its context. The clue comes from the context. Uh, in the previous chapter, uh, the story was focusing on David running away from Saul, running to King uh, Achish of the Philistines. And, and, and David, we saw two weeks ago how David became hopeless and fearful for his life because Saul's threats were lingering on and continuing. And David, without asking the Lord, crossed over to the Philistines to seek safety for himself and for his army uh, from the king of Gath, King Achish. And we have seen how David's human solution led to immediate results of safety, which in turn led to compromise, which finally led to the wrong admiration from the Philistine king Achish. David had found favor in the eyes of Achish, even to the point that the Philistine king recruited David to join him in battle against the Israelites. That's how the story of the context uh, moves us to. In, in chapter 28, verse 2, David responds to, to the recruiting of Achish. Uh, David says to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And then Achish offered David to be his bodyguard for life. And we as readers stopped the passage there, and we were wondering, will David really fight against the Israelites with the Philistines? Will David really want to to side with the Philistines against the people of God? And before we can answer that question, and before we read ahead at chapter 29, the author, the narrator, stops the story abruptly. And he says, I'm not going to tell you the answer. It's like in a movie, the camera shifts from one scene of this deal between David and Achish fighting with the Philistines against Israel. The camera shifts to an entirely new scene with Saul seeing the Philistine army showing up. It's actually, in chronology of time, this chapter really comes after chapter 29. But the narrator is shifting our focus because he wants us to understand what's going on with Saul as the news and the efforts of the Philistines uh, begin mounting up uh, that the Philistines are coming against the Israelites. Will David really join the Philistines against Israel. Hold that question. That is a question, the abrupt ending, uh, and it's a question that we should keep in the back of our minds as we look at this chapter 28. If David is being recruited to fight with the Philistines, what is happening with Saul? For Saul, in this chapter, what the narrator wants to tell us is that the bottom falls out for him. The message of this chapter is not merely that the bottom falls out for Saul, but why it does. Why does the bottom fall out for Saul? Uh, there's five sections to this story, and, uh, and these five sections will be the, 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 the structure of our message this morning. Five points. Saul's dilemma. Number one, Saul's dilemma. Number two, Saul's spiritual temper tantrum. Saul's spiritual temper tantrum, Saul's enemy, number three, Saul's terror, number four, and finally Saul's last dinner, Saul's last dinner. Let's look at at these scenes as the story unfolds and to see why is the bottom falling out for Saul. Saul's dilemma. In verses three to five, the author sets a stage reminding us uh, of what has been happening with Israel and with Saul the prophet Samuel, who had played an incredible role throughout this book, had died. Saul had done some good things in his reign, like putting the mediums out of the land. That was a good thing. And the Philistines attacked Israel again. Not a new thing in this book. In verse 4, we find out that Saul gathered all Israel for battle to prepare to fight the Philistines. Yet look at verse 5. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines. He was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Even though though the Philistines have attacked before, this time Saul came to realize that the size of the Philistine army is way too big for him to face, so big that his heart trembled greatly. What should he do? Here's what he does. He sought the Lord for guidance. What a good thing to do, right? This is the first time, however, this is the first time in a very, very long time that we read about Saul that he sought the Lord for guidance. And we're told that the Lord did not answer him. Verse 6, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. We find out later in verse 15 how Saul interpreted God's lack of answering his prayer. Saul took it as a sign that the Lord has turned away from him. Look at verse 15. I am, he says to to Samuel, I'm in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more. Now, we want to be clear that not every time we have unanswered prayers, not every time does that mean that somehow the Lord has withdrawn from us. Unanswered prayers could be a sign that the Lord has withdrawn from us, but not always, not necessarily. If anything, for most believers, uh, the sign of unanswered prayers is simply God's way of saying no to our request. The Lord knows what we need. The Lord knows what is best for us. The Lord's plans may not be our plans, so the Lord may choose to say no to answering our prayer requests. And that does not mean necessarily that the Lord has withdrawn from us. Sometimes it may feel to us that God has withdrawn because we no longer feel His presence with us nearby. That's a very common experience, by the way, that believers can go through. But whether it's a lack of feeling the presence of God with us or simply unanswered prayers it does not necessarily mean that the Lord has actually withdrawn from us. But in this case, with Saul, it actually was that the Lord withdrew from him. The Lord has turned away from Saul, and now when Saul is in a desperate moment, he finally seeks the Lord. It finally dawns on Saul, for the first time it dawns on him, the Lord has withdrawn from me. So Saul's dilemma was not merely that the Philistines have come to attack him, but now that the Lord is no longer there to protect him and to guide him in what to do. Now, Saul's turning to the Lord, seeking the Lord, was not a turning to forsake his wicked ways. Saul's turning to the Lord was just a matter of pragmatism. Needed or needing counsel to know what to do in this crisis now you say well that that's a good thing isn't it well it could be but the problem if you understand the big picture of Saul in this book is that there's no sense that Saul turned to the lord in repentance and recognition of what he had done wrong in the past he just needed god to tell him what to do in the moment in order to get out of his terrible mess Saul is not seeking God for the sake of getting God. Saul is seeking God for his own sake, for guidance to get out of this mess. Friend, friends, sometimes we may be tempted to treat God merely as a cosmic advisor to accomplish our agendas, or merely as an almighty advisor to get us out of the crisis we're in. If you and I only seek the Lord when we need Him, I think you should ask yourself if you are really pursuing the Lord or just your own preservation and thus making God your servant. And this is not who God is. What we need, first and foremost, is not for God to do stuff for us, but for God to cleanse us of our sin and to give us a new heart. That's why in our services... Before we engage in the pastoral prayer, which is mostly geared to seek the Lord with requests, with petitions, before we have a pastoral prayer in our services, we have a prayer of confession of sin. Because we're going to come to the Lord not like we come to a vending machine, putting in our our coin of a a short prayer with our needs, giving Him our honey-do list, and then being frustrated if He doesn't fill it and, and accomplish it on time and the way we expect it. That is not the God we serve. We want to come to the Lord, first of all, with praises. We want to come to the Lord with recognizing our sin and our need of Him to cleanse us of our sin. And then we come to the Lord confidently that He's a God who listens to our prayers. But Saul, he comes to the Lord, first and foremost, with just with his need, without recognizing his undealt sin. Friends, our sin... Is a bigger deal than our physical needs. Our sin is a bigger deal than our crises. But this reality never gripped Saul's heart. He comes to God only with seeking guidance for the crisis, instead of recognizing he has some undealt sin in his life. So Saul's rebellious heart shows up even while he's seeking the Lord. Because he does it only in a self-centered way, only to get out of his mess. And you say, well, I'm not sure. Did, did Saul really seek the Lord just in a, in a self-centered way and in, in, in a rebellious way, even in seeking the Lord? Even, he did it still very man-centered? Well, if you're not convinced from the first point, the second point makes that very clear. Saul's rebellious heart against the Lord is clear in what he does when God does not answer him. If God was not going to give him the guidance for the present crisis, Saul is open to do that which God has prohibited. And I call this Saul's spiritual temper tantrum. This is found in verses 6 through 15. When seeking the Lord did not yield to the desired goal for Saul, he had another solution. God, if you're not speaking to me, I know how to get the answer. I'm going to talk to mediums. I'm going to talk to those who call out the dead and bring out Samuel. Saul's path to consult the dead shows how deeply desperate he has become and how deeply rebellious he has continued to stay. Consulting the dead or using services of mediums and necromancers has clearly been forbidden by God in the law of Moses. Uh, the passage we read earlier in the service, in Deuteronomy 18, the Lord said, There shall not be found among you anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. And then the Lord goes on to say, For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And then listen to the next sentence. And because of these abominations... The Lord your God is driving them, the pagan nations of Canaan, out before you. Saul in this moment stoops so low that he is willing to do that which is an abomination to God for the sake of getting his guidance. Saul is not interested in God. He's just interested in God's services. And if it means doing what God forbids to get what he wants out of God, he'll do it. Now, the amazing part is that God said, because of this particular practice, he's driving out the pagan nations before Israel. He wants to use Israel to drive the pagan nations away from the land. And here is Israel's king, the one they asked for in order to drive the nations out. Here's Israel's king stooping down so low that he is now doing the very sins that would cause God, would lead God to get the nations out of the land. This is Saul's spiritual temper tantrum. If God is not going to give him an answer, he's going to get it one way or another, even if it means turning to mediums. So Saul, in verse 7, says, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. Friends, seeking the services of spiritualists, uh, of consulting the dead, of those who read the future in your hand, is an abomination to God. We should never resort to such services. And such services are sprouting up in our community, in our city, like crazy. Our city is becoming more and more open to such services. So be aware. Because of Saul's prior policy of putting out the mediums from the land, Saul has to disguise himself to this woman, pretending to be someone else. In verse 10, Saul even swears by the Lord. And this is the irony. Saul even swears by the Lord, invoking the name of God as the living God, promising this woman that there will be no punishment coming upon her. And yet Saul is doing that which God has forbidden, even while using the name of God. This just baffles me. Saul is using the Lord when it's convenient for him, when it's advantageous for him, and yet goes against what he says. And this should give us a caution. Using correct language about God. Friends, using correct language about God, invoking the name of the Lord, is no guarantee that our hearts are right with God. Taking or talking about God taking a vow in his name while at the same time acting our own plans in disobedience to him is a trap we must be aware of. But Saul's pretense does not last very long. When the woman calls up the spirit of Samuel, we're told in verse 12, she cried out with a, with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. There's something in this first vision that, that the woman has that she sees that convinced her that the one she was talking to is actually Saul himself. And the point of these details is that Saul came to this medium, disguised as somebody else, pretending to be somebody else. And before he gets to talk to, Sam, to Samuel, Saul gets exposed for who, who he truly is. It's as if the narrator tells us Saul can no longer disguise himself, no more pretending moving forward. And that's what happens in the rest of this chapter. Saul, no more pretending, moving forward. Saul may have seemed at the beginning to be searching for God in this crisis, but with this second scene, it is very clear that Saul's rebellion is exposed, not only by the medium, but also by the narrator. Saul's action here shows how far he is willing to go on a limb in rebellion against God's Word. He's wanting to find God's will, but on his own terms, in ways that God has forbidden. And you may say, well, Pastor, you know, I will never, I will never go to mediums or or employ the services of those who call the dead. I would never do that. Well, I'm glad that you think that way. But let me let me ask are there other ways are there other ways in which you are tempted and inclined to throw a spiritual temper tantrum at god if god is not giving me what i want or what i hoped for i'm just going to i'm just going to do it my way i'm just going to do whatever i want to do i'm just going to take it easy with god i'm just going to do what i want to do are there ways in which you are tempted other ways in which you are tempted to to try to get what you want, and if God didn't work out well for you, you're going to do this other thing. Be aware of that temptation. Be aware of that pattern. That is what we see with Saul. Even though the details may look different for you and I, be aware of seeking to figure out God's will in your own way, on your own terms. Oh, friends, friends, all this brings Saul to have one last dialogue with Samuel, and this leads us to the third scene. We have seen Saul's dilemma. We have seen his spiritual temper tantrum. The, point, the third scene and third point is Saul's enemy. We see this in verses 16 through 19. The dialogue between Saul and Samuel reveals who truly, who truly is Saul's enemy. Verses 16 through 19 are the climax of this chapter. They're the hinge that turn Saul's initial great fear into helpless terror. What does Samuel tell Saul that leads Saul to turn from great fear to helpless terror? Look at verse 16. Samuel exposed who is truly Saul's enemy. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? This phrase is a turning point for Saul. Saul came to Samuel asking what to do with the Philistines who are his enemies. And he finds out that he has a greater enemy than the Philistines. His name is the Lord. Why has the Lord become Saul's enemy? Verse 18 starts with the word, because. It's a very clear indication. It tells us the reason why the Lord has become Saul's enemy. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce anger, his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. It's amazing that, It's amazing that Samuel, in this moment, does not bring up Saul's relentless pursuit of David for the past 12 chapters in this book. It's amazing that Samuel does not even bring up Saul's rebellion right now in in, in seeking out to to awaken the dead. What Samuel goes back is chapter 15 of the book when Saul has chosen not to listen to the voice of the Lord. In disobeying the word of the Lord, Saul, as the, a as the newly elected king, thought that his words were better and more strategic for the kingdom. As a result, the Lord decreed that his kingdom will be taken away from Saul and that God would give it to Saul's neighbor. At that point, there's no name mentioned who that neighbor might be. And Saul never repented from that. If anything, throughout this book, What Saul did with that news that the Lord would take away the kingdom from Saul and the throne from him, what that caused Saul to do was to get on this path of protecting his throne. So for the the second half of this book, we see a king, King Saul, who in his disobedience, he actually now reacts with efforts, relentless efforts to protect his kingdom, to protect his dynasty, And he goes on for decades. He is successfully able to protect his kingdom and his throne for decades. And now, Saul gets the news that actually what happened in chapter 15, what the Lord has decreed in chapter 15, the Lord has never forgotten. Saul's heart posture in chapter 15 has been consistent since then through the rest of this book. The problem is not merely the current immediate sins that Saul has done recently. The problem is that hard posture that Saul had all the way at the beginning in chapter 15. By not listening and obeying the word of God, Saul had turned against God and now God has been his enemy and will take away from him not merely his throne but also his life. This is a way of saying the wages of death is sin before the Apostle Paul ever penned those words in Romans six twenty three, But it doesn't stop here. Look what else the Lord will do as the enemy. Look at verse 19. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the battle or into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. What a steep price this nation will pay for their disobedient king. They, too, will be given over to death. And you may wonder, why why are they included in this price? I understand Saul has sin, therefore he deserves to die. But why is a nation... Dying, and the army of Israel dying also on account of Saul. Well, remember chapter 8? The elders of Israel have asked for a king to be like the nations, a king who will win battles for them. What happens to their king happens to them as well. What happens to him, they will also experience. If he loses, they lose. If he wins, they win. This is a lesson not just for Saul, but for the nation of Israel also. Their motivation and desires for a king like the nation's would end up leading them to ruin as well. At this point, it's helpful to remember how the story of Saul fits with the story of David and Achish and why the author changes his camera abruptly from David to Saul. Remember the question I asked you to consider and remember, Will David really fight with the Philistines against Israel? The narrator stopped the story and moves the camera to Saul. And we find out in this new scene that someone much greater than David will fight against Israel's army with the Philistines. It's not David, it's the Lord. Why would he do that? To remind us that we cannot ignore or turn aside from his word without consequences. We cannot replace God's authority and word with our own authority and word. And not pay for it with utter ruin and destruction. This is not the first time in the book when God will fight with the Philistines against his people. Remember chapter 4? When God gave the ark of the covenant and all the armies of Israel into the hands of the Philistines because the leaders, the spiritual leaders of Israel have mocked God with their disobedience. And here is Israel's first king. He has not learned the lesson. Israel has not learned the lesson. The Lord can fight with the Philistines against his people because he will not let himself be mocked by the very people who bear his name, who call him their God and yet not listen to his word. The disobedience of the head of the kingdom has brought defeat not only for the king, but for Israel's entire army, because sin is never an isolated experience. Israel's defeat will not be because their army was weaker. Israel's defeat will not be because the Philistine army was stronger. Israel's defeat will come because the Lord will hand over the Israelites to the hands of the Philistines. What a lesson for Saul to learn. What a lesson for Israel to learn. But may I encourage us to say, what a lesson for us to learn. Sin begins when we replace the Word of God with our preferences. Friends, take this lesson to heart. Don't ignore it. One of the most essential characteristics of the people of God is whether or not they listen to the Word of God and do what He says. Turn away from, from, from the way you, th- you want to d- debate with God or, or, or try to strike a deal with God or prefer your ways against His. Consider where this king Saul has ended, and not only for him and his dynasty, but also for the army of Israel. Saul's enemy is the Lord because Saul has turned away from the vo- voice of the, wo- of the Lord. But then this leads to a fourth scene, Saul's terror, verses 20 and 21. Saul's terror. Then Saul fell at once, in verse 20, Saul fell at once full length on the ground. If you've been reading the book, it's the same kind of picture that we were told of Goliath. He fell down full length on the earth. This is what Saul does. And he's filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. Now, here is um, here, there's development here. Now, the reason for Saul's fears has changed. He came to Saul fearful of the Philistines. Now, his fear has shifted to something much more potent than the Philistines, the words of Samuel speaking on God's behalf. Friends, this is the first time Saul feared the words of Samuel in a very long time. This is the first time he finally feared the words of Samuel. Had Saul learned to fear the words of Samuel earlier in his reign, he would have remained king, as, verse, as chapter 14 tells us. But Saul disregarded the words of Samuel for most of his reign as king. So, friends, don't wait to hear God's final decree of judgment against us. Consider His warnings now. Turn to Him now. Now before it's too late. If you're caught in, in the traps of sin, of hidden or secret sins, turn to the Lord now. Seek help through His people who are alive and among us, who you can call upon and, and speak to, to help you work through things that, that perhaps there's something duplicitous in your life and you want to you confess to the Lord and to others and help you we re- live and walk in light, come and talk to one of the elders Speak to one of the members of the church, but consider the words of the Lord through His people. Friends, if if you're not a Christian, don't wait to seek the Lord until the bottom falls out for you. Don't delay turning to the Lord until a later time. It may be that you can turn to the Lord at a later time, but at a later time it may be too late like it happened for Saul. Consider the words of Isaiah that we've read at the beginning of the service. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Oh, friends, our wickedness is not only what we do. Our wickedness is in our thoughts as well. The Lord is not only calling us to forsake sins that we do with our behavior. The Lord is calling us to to forsake sins that we do with our thoughts. Let the wicked man forsake his ways, and let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon if you seek him now. Fear the word of God. Now, by trusting that what He says is true, He will grant forgiveness to those who come broken in their spirits, grieving for their sins, asking God to save them. Let the Word of God produce that kind of fear that leads us to the Lord in repentance first, and then in asking for His mercy to save us. Oh, friends, I pray that you would consider that the fear of the Lord can be a wonderful thing if we act on it, early and not too late. For Saul, it was too late. And this leads us to the final and last dilemma, um, the last point in the story, Saul's dinner. Saul's dinner, verses 21 and 25. The story of Saul and the medium of Endor closes with Saul being fed a dinner by this medium. It'll turn out that this dinner will be Saul's last dinner. The story of of this last dinner starts with Saul portrayed as utterly devoid of any strength. In verse 20, and there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. Now it's possible that Saul had eaten nothing all day and all night, because this was part of a ritual uh, of how to consult the dead through mediums. Regardless of what caused Saul not to eat all day and all night, the point is, he's left without any strength. And this is not a coincidence, nor is this a wasted detail. We must go back to how this book started, with a woman who wanted to be a mother, who prayed to be a mother of a child, of a a baby boy, and who couldn't. And in her desperation... In her distress, she sought the Lord in prayer. Remember Hannah, chapter 1? And remember her prayer? When the Lord answered her, gave her a baby boy, and she called him Samuel, or Samuel. And She said, because the Lord has answered me. And when she brought Samuel to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord, to, to give him to the Lord as she has vowed, She uttered this amazing prayer of praise. And Hannah's last verse in that prayer of praise, Hannah's song of praise ends with these words. Listen. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. And here's Israel's first king with no strength left in him. And it is not the Lord who gives him strength in this moment of utter strengthlessness, but a medium. Saul is spending his last dinner with no strength left in him. His servants had to insist on him to eat, and he finally agreed to eat at their pressure. And he eats what this medium provided for him, Saul has chosen to be against the Lord, so now he's left without strength at the mercy of those who are an abomination to the Lord. Another king will come who is going to fight for God's people. And he too had a supper on the last night before he was to die. And his supper was also significant. At his last supper... It was He who invited His disciples to come and eat. It was He who gave them to eat. It was He who strengthened His followers for what was going to happen the next day. And it was He who revealed to them what was God's plan for the next day. He was supposed to die the next day, not because He sinned, but because God's people have sinned. And most importantly, unlike Saul, who brought destruction to God's to to the army of Israel, Jesus died so that those who trust in him would be rescued from eternal damnation and be given life forevermore. With Saul, God's people died because of his disobedience. With Jesus, his people will live because of his obedience. Both Saul and Jesus were to die as kings, but they died very differently. Saul died because he was disobedient to God. Jesus died because he was obedient to God fully, even to the point of death. And my friends, I want to ask you, which king would you rather follow? A king who would be like the nations, who would lead and provide like the nations. Look where it ended. Look where it led versus the king that God truly promised to to bring in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the kind of king we need, the king who would rather die for the sake of His people even though He committed no sin, so that the people who have committed sin before the Lord would be given life. Friends, I've entitled this message, When the Bottom Falls Out, but hopefully we have seen by now that this text reveals to us not only when the bottom falls out, but why the bottom falls out. This chapter reveals to us that the death Saul will die the next day was not an accidental death. It was not because the Philistines were stronger. It was going to happen. Not simply because that's what happens on the battlefield. It was going to happen because God is giving Saul over and his army the Philistines. And why is that happening? Because Saul did not take the word of the Lord seriously. Because Saul would not obey the word of the Lord. And friends, this is, this is a challenge for us. When the bottom falls out, do you understand why? When the Lord chooses to be on the side of the enemy against us, would you understand why that happens? It's because we would choose not to listen to the word of the Lord. But there's a glimmer of hope in all this dark chapter. There's a glimmer of hope. You say, where is it? Because I cannot find it. You must be an eternally optimistic preacher, Samuel. I'm not. It's right here in the passage, if we look carefully. The glimmer of hope is there, but it's not for Saul to enjoy. Despite the message of God's judgment to give Saul and Israel's army into the hands of the Philistines the next day remember what Saul had said to Saul Samuel had said to Saul in verse 17 The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David In other words this defeat tomorrow Saul is the end of your kingdom but it's not the end of God's kingdom. Even if the army of Israel will be annihilated the next day, the Lord has promised to give the kingdom to David. The story of God's kingdom is not over just because Saul's kingdom is taken away from him. Oh, friends, just because we are defeated does not mean that God is defeated. Just because we run out of solutions does not mean that God has run out of solutions. Just because our throne is taken away from us does not mean that God's throne is gone. God's defeat of His people is never defeat of God's plans. He brings glory to Himself by acting just as He has spoken, whether that's in redemption or in judgment. What a lesson for Saul to learn. What a lesson for us to learn as well. God will do what He has spoken. God will do what He has spoken. That is what characterizes His kingdom. That is what characterizes His throne. He will ultimately do what He has spoken. So let's listen to His word now. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You are a God who brings glory to Yourself, both through redemption and through judgment. And even when we find out ourselves on the wrong side of the equation, discovering that You are not for us but against us, Father, help us to discover that early on so that we may turn to You with repentance and contrition of heart, so that we may find grace, so that we may find healing and restoration before it's too late. Father, help us to take you by your word. Help us to trust that your kingdom and your reign is manifested through the reality that your word will be done as you have spoken. Give us that fear of you, Father. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.